Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please make sure that you take out your phone and scroll down. Yes, please do it now and leave a five-star rating or a review so that others can benefit from all of the amazing stories that we share here twice a week. I would so appreciate it. And I know that those who haven't yet found us yet will too. So before we start today's episode, I want to take a minute to say thank you. Because in just a few short months, this podcast has reached some incredible milestones, namely helping so many of you. From founding, growing, and selling my first company to now helping others to do the same, so many of you trust me here and also through my classes, my one-on-one programs, and my social media. Your belief in me is so appreciated, and now I can help you to grow your own personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email, collaborations, and more. Just click the link in my show notes. You can fill out the form, grab 30 minutes with me. I'd love the chance to get to know you, to get to know your business, and potentially even the opportunity to work with you. So nothing makes me happier than ice cream, especially in the summer, but I have to admit you're around as well, truly. Um, Cookies, maybe, as you know, if many of you who follow me on social media, I joke that I'm a cookie influencer. But what really makes me happy is ice cream with cookies in it. There, I said it. Honestly, today's guest has made a career I am envious of. Um, She's made a career out of my favorite food, which is ice cream, and her story is honestly unbelievable. From a family tradition to a corporate success, Tamara Keefe turned her love for ice cream into an incredible career, and I cannot wait for you to hear her story. Tamara Keefe is the founder of St. Louis-based Clementine's Naughty and Nice Creamery. She's always had a deep passion for not only ice cream itself, but for also what it represents family, community, and in her own words, moments of connection. Her life's journey from a girl born into an economically disadvantaged family growing up on food stamps to a self-made ice cream entrepreneur is nothing short of extraordinary. Keith has over 25 years of experience working across global brands, including Ensure, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Kraft, Conagra, Heritage Foods, Campbell's, and Mars in the consumer packaged goods industry. She operated in multiple functions with a main focus in strategy, brand management, consumer insights, and innovation. Keefe is also an alum of the Goldman Sachs 10KSB program, as well as a Tory Birch 2019 Foundation Fellow and James Beard 2020 Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Fellow. Keefe also serves on the board of the St. Louis Civic Pride Foundation. She's an active member of EO Entrepreneurs Organization and served as my EO chair, helping businesses grow and thrive. Please come on in and meet this remarkable female founder, Tamara Keefe. All right, today on Dear Founder, we are talking about a subject that if you know me, you know, I love more than anything, and that is ice cream. But 
we're not just talking about the ice cream. We have Tamara Keefe, who is the founder of C- founder and CEO and flavored temptress of Clementine's Creamery based in St. Louis here with us today. And she has an incredible story just of how she grew up, how she left corporate America and how she founded this incredible ice cream brand. And also her ice cream is a little different than everyone else's ice cream. So Tamara, welcome to Dear Found Her. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to share your story. It's a great one. So I would love for you to start off by kind of telling us how Clementine's came to be. Sure, sure. So I I have a love and a passion for all things ice cream and what it does for people. And it's really been something that's been with me my, my whole life. Uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, one Sunday after church, I heard the other little kids start talking about going for ice cream. And so, of course, immediately I ran over to my mom and I said, hey, do we get to go for ice cream? And the answer was no. And then next weekend at church, the same thing. And I ran over and asked and the answer was no. Well, as a little kid, you don't know that you're not supposed to make your parents feel bad for being poor, right? You know, we come from really humble beginnings. I come from a large Irish Italian family. It was me and my older brothers and my parents and my grandparents. So we had a really big family. So, and coming from really a humble place, it's not like we got to go do everything because it was a small army. And, and in our church, I guess I would also say that my family was like super beloved, right? My mom was always cooking for the old ladies. My dad was always fixing something at the church, right? But we were not really a popular family because there were so many of us, right? And so, you know, we we didn't have a lot of friends per se that we hung out with. Um, and so we kind of just did our own thing. But, you know, and, you know, we were the family that like the day before Thanksgiving, you know, we'd come home and there'd be groceries on our stoop, right? Because we just, we didn't have a lot. And so, you know, it was interesting that summer, I think I was seven or eight when I kept asking to go for ice cream. One Sunday after church, finally a month or so after I think I started hounding my mom, we drove by a garage sale, right? Because that's how we got our clothes and our shoes and, and we just, that's what we did. And my mom found an old hand crank ice cream maker for $2. And she said, okay, we're going to take this. We're going to go home and make ice cream. You've been hounding me to make ice cream. We're going to make ice cream Um, or get ice cream. So we're going to make ice cream. And so she's like, go change your clothes, do your chores and meet back here in an hour. And we're going to make ice cream. And so I was so excited. And so that's what we did. And so literally we, as a family, we started making ice cream every Sunday after church. And it became this tradition in our family and something that as a kid was just like so awesome. But what I think was more important for me in hindsight and looking back was other families at church started getting wind that we were making homemade ice cream. So they started asking my parents if they could come to our house. Well, we couldn't afford ingredients and and we couldn't afford all that for so many people. So what started happening was my parents, of course, they said yes, but one family would bring the milk, another family would bring the cream. And so all of a sudden, my sense of community started changing. We went from like 
that family over there to like the most popular family in the church. And so I had new friends. I was invited to parties and, and sleepovers and people came to our tiny little house, but our big backyard. And really this, like my life changed because of an ice cream cone. And that's always stayed with me. And that's always been with me. And we continued making ice cream as a family every Sunday up until my mom passed away uh, in my early twenties. And then I kind of took over that tradition for her. And, you know, it always just stuck with me. Like that was always my hobby throughout my whole adult life. You know, some people golf and, and some people scrapbook, like I always made ice cream for family, for friends, just that's what I did. And so it, it's always been with me about how, how much ice cream changes community. It changes people a lot, people's lives and how, you know, ice cream is the most emotional food item there is out there because people are so tied to these memories, right? When you think of your first ice cream cone, it's with your grandparents, it's with your friends. It's, it was maybe the first date you ever took a girl out on, right? It was for an ice cream cone. And so it's, it, it evokes these powerful emotions. And I really, I really love that, you know? And so kind of going on through my life, you know, putting myself through school and, and going for climbing the ladder in my career, ice cream was always my, my passion and my hobby. And I ended up working in the food industry, right. Which is funny enough. And so, you know, after 20 plus years and climbing the corporate ladder and basically having my dream job, I had my dream job. I, I ran a $70 million business. I had a massive organization. I made, I mean, you know, I was making more money in a year than my dad did in 10. Right. And so I had the dream and yet I ended up hating my life. I was so, I was so distraught. Right. Um, and I just, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just thought, wow, is this all there is? Right. And how ungrateful for me to think like, is this all there is when I had from the, what looked like from the outside, this amazing career, all this money, a big house, fancy cars, all of those things. And I remember it was in 2014. I had really pushed my girlfriends for a weekend away at the lake. And we were sitting there one morning having coffee and I just like broke down to my girlfriends, you know, open the kimono, ugly cry, snot coming down your face. And I was just like, I'm so miserable. I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I'm 38 years old. I have no kids. I have no husband. I never see my family. I never see my friends. I have this big, beautiful house that I'm never home to enjoy. Like, what am I doing? And they're looking at me like, are you nuts? We got these kids crying and these husbands are a pain in the ass. And right. And so everyone from the grass is always greener, right? The grass is always greener. Right. And, and I was like, no, but like, literally I'm, I'm miserable. You know, in 2012, I traveled 262 days that year. Right. I was that token corporate female that climbed the ladder, always said yes, global role, big organization, always gone. And I just, I was so unhappy. And so I'm sitting there crying with my girlfriends. And my girlfriend turns to me and she goes, quit. I'm like, what do you mean quit? She's like, quit. I'm like, you don't quit corporate America. Not at the level that I had gotten to. Like, what was I? freaking nuts. And she was like, no, 
like quit. And I, and so I'm crying and I'm like, well, what would I do? And my other girlfriend turns to me and she starts giggling a little bit. I'm like, why are you laughing at me? And she's like, you know, you're always complaining. St. Louis doesn't have great ice cream. You're always bitching. Our neighborhood doesn't have an ice cream shop. You make ice cream better than anyone we know. You come from the food industry. Why don't you, why don't you open an ice cream shop? Hmm. That was an interesting moment. It never dawned on you before. Never, never. never. I mean, interesting. You, you always, you always have moments where you're somewhere and you're like, oh, I would do it this way or, or right. We all have, right. the, but wherever you walk into, but I never really thought about it. And I was like, wow, you know, I had money in the bank. I was like, what's the worst case that could happen? I could fail. Absolutely. I could lose some money. Absolutely. But I was educated. I put myself through my master's degree and my MBA. I'm like, I could go get another job. Maybe not at the same level I was at before. It would take me time to get there, but I would be fine. And so literally that weekend, we wrote my business plan, put together my financials and my deck. And two weeks later, I I resigned and that was it. So tell us about Clementine's today. We're going to get into this a little bit more because I have some questions about this, but tell us about Clementine's today. And it's not just an ice cream shop. So I, you know, I want you to paint the picture for the listeners. Yeah. Well, you know, having the benefit of working in the food industry and knowing how to commercially make something safely, um, effectively, uh, and, and having seen all the ways that big consumer packaged goods companies cheapen their product and manipulate their product and what they do for ingredients and right. Cause they're trying to get the most out of it. Right. And so I had a special view of how food items are made and manufactured and, and everything. And so when I decided to open Clementine's, I said, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to work on the customer experience. I'm going to have the best product in the country because I know all the stuff they do to dumb it down. So I'm going to do the opposite. And in 2014, I had gone to uh, Penn State. Uh, we call it ice cream college. They have uh, uh, it's their their short course on ice cream. They're the leading most uh, dairy university in the country. And I went and I was introduced to this concept of a micro creamery. And so think of micro brewery for beer but for ice cream, right? There's certain qualifications you have to meet. One, uh, the ice cream has to be handcrafted. So um, somebody actually, sta- or I'm sorry, um, small batch. So you have to have someone stand in front of the machine and like make the ice cream. It's not made in this big industrial machine that's the size of a room with no people. Two, everything in the ice cream has to be handcrafted. So if there's a pie, cake, or cookie, we make it, bake it, put it in it. We salt our own caramels. We candy our own pecans. You name it, we do it. We have a a pastry and baking team in-house. Third, uh, the ice cream has to be all natural. And we're the only all natural ice cream maker uh, in the state of Missouri and actually within all the states around us. Um, So no artificial flavors, colors, fillers, emulsifiers, or anything goes into our product. Fourth, is the amount of butter fat. In order to be a micro creamery, your ice cream has to have more than 16% butter fat in the ice cream. So most places, most ice cream shops and stuff you buy in the store has about a 10 to 12%. And so the butter fat is really what drives the 
satiation and the creaminess on your palate and, and lets you take a bite of the ice cream and a minute later, you can still taste it in your mouth. Right. And then last but not least, um, in order to be a micro creamery, you have to have less than 30% overrun in your product. So overrun is the amount of air that's whipped into the ice cream. And most ice cream places and ice cream you'll find in the grocery store has a hundred percent overrun. That means when you get that pint of ice cream, 50% is ice cream and 50% is air. And they do that because they whip all this air into the product to fill more containers. So ours has less than 30%. So when you take a pint of our ice cream, it's so much heavier than anything from the store because it actually has ice cream in it and not air. And so this notion of a micro creamery was introduced to me and I was like, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And yes, it's more expensive. And yes, it takes a lot more labor and people, but it makes the best product. And so how many locations do you have now? We have six locations and we're building out three more next year. So we'll have And none. you also ship, yes? We ship all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of packages. Which I'm sure, I'm sure. But okay. So take me back to when you first opened your first store. You said you wrote a business plan. You got your financials together. Mm-hmm. What did this look like? Because, you know, obviously you're a smart, educated woman. You've gone to business school. You've worked your, your way up the corporate ladder. You know what you're doing. Like this is, yeah. you know what you're doing. But opening your own business is still a big undertaking. And so what does this look like when you open your first shop? And how long did it take? So I incorporated... Um, early 2014. And it took me about six months to build out my, my kitchen and to get all my safety procedures and traceability, you know, all the things that you have to do to make commercialize a product the right way. Um, that took me about six months. And then towards the end of 2014, I started selling wholesale and direct to consumer. And then I didn't open my first shop until May 17th of 2015. So actually last week we had our seven year anniversary from my congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But you know, it was hard. So, so yes, being in the business world and managing a PL and understanding finance, like, and marketing, right. I did marketing and branding, branding and strategy my whole career. So like, that's my second nature right. that very easily to me, but going from an environment where I had teams of people that did stuff to a team of me, right? Right here. (laughs) That was very interesting. And it was hard. I mean, I had so much passion around it that you drive yourself, you know, but, you know, I had a a limited amount of money, right? I I thought I would have enough money. And then six months in, I I ran out of money and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because I do not come from a family of money. So there was somebody that I could call to say, hey, can I have $300,000? Like, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, and so I, you know, no bank was going to give me any money. I was nobody. Right. I just had this, I, this dream and this idea. And so literally like at that moment, there was only one place that I knew that I could get that much money. And that was from my retirement. And so I decided to take the biggest bet on my life of my life and bet it, roll it on me. And so I cashed out my 401k to really fund the rest of getting Clementine started, which was so scary and terrifying because that's everything I put away my whole career for when I want to retire right. when I'm older. 
And so that was like nerve wracking and scaring. And, and I, you know, I did everything. I mean, I laid the, the, the flooring, I put up tile. I, you know, I mean, thankfully I grew up in a family where my dad was in construction. And so I like, I'm very capable and handy woman. Um, so a lot of things don't scare me like that. Um, but it was a lot of like 20 hour days for sure. So you self-funded the business and in the beginning it was just you. And And it still is. And I was going to ask you, what is, what does your team look like now? And how do you infuse help in other places? Because you have grown a lot. So, I mean. Yeah. Especially in this past year, we're growing, I'm really growing my executive team, but I really bootstrapped the business. I mean, I didn't, I didn't take a paycheck for three years, the first three years, but the thing that I was really smart that when I did have my money in the beginning was I didn't want to be put in a situation where I would make a bad decision because of money. So I paid everything off for two years. I paid my mortgage ahead for two years, my car insurance, like everything was paid for two years. And that was like, it it was, it gave me such a peace of mind. Now, granted, I had money for no money for anything else, but like all my basic necessities were, were covered. And that allowed me to bootstrap and it allowed me not to take a paycheck for three years. And it allowed me to invest in my team because I knew that I needed to invest in people to help build and buy into my vision and that they weren't going to do for free. Right. And so those early years, I, you know, all the money that we made, I mean, it's kind of crazy when I think back and I would never tell anyone to do this to this day. Like you always need to have working capital but literally my money had dwindled so much until we opened the doors that day. The day my shop opened, I only had $39 in the bank. It's so crazy. Like, like I think back now of like, was I nuts? But, but that's what you do, right? Like right. You just, you, you hope and you build it and hope they will come. Um, and so, yeah, so I've put everything back into the business always. I mean, I, you know, I have six, I have six locations now. I still live in an 800 square foot house. Most of my employees live in bigger houses, drive fancier cars than me. Um, what does your team look like? So, um, uh, I have my, my, my now executive team that I'm, I'm building out. So we have a, a director of retail operations. Uh, we have HR, I have a operations officer. I have, um, uh, Frank, my universe partner is actually, um, our chief curator. Uh, we have project specialists, we have production leads. I have a kitchen manager, like a general manager, and I have a a CFO controller. I just hired a fractional marketing director and I have a full-time, uh, marketing person, uh, in-house now and all my other marketing partners. So it's not just you anymore. You're the founder and the CEO, but it is not just you. No, no, gosh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own at all. But I would really say this is going into like our seventh and eighth year in business. And just this year in the past, in the past year, have I really started building out my team to where it wasn't just two or two or three of us, like a small team. And, but, but would you say, I mean, that investment has propelled the business forward is my guess. Totally, totally. And has been worth it. Quite frankly, I, I can't do it all anymore. Right. I can't do it well. Um, and so really investing in my team. And I'm also a big believer, you know, I think early on in my business, it was so much about like 
me working in the business, like controlling everything, doing everything, you know, from the production to the people, to the staff, to the shops, to the openings. And I, and I think I was so stressed in the business that it wasn't until learning through EO and and other places that I need to get out to work on the business. So my business can flourish. And a couple of years, probably three and a half years ago, when I really started taking the steps to get out of the day-to-day of my business, did the business really start growing because I could work on the business and no one knows it better than me. Right. Right. Um, Right. So that was really key to start bringing in people to delegate and, and, and run certain parts of my business for me. So I love that you built a business based on not just tradition, like you built a business based on tradition, but your tradition, a tradition that was really infused in your life. And that is something that, you know, when you probably look at the business makes the business that much more important to you. I mean, this was something that you grew up doing every single Sunday with your family. And something that you said early on in the conversation was that, you know, ice cream has a community focus and it does. And I think, you know, now today in 2022, when we think of community, a lot of us think of community as the online community, because that's where we've been. And that's where we've been playing, especially for the last two years. But your business has a community that is in real life. And that is really amazing. And I would love for you to kind of impart some words of wisdom on the importance of community and the importance of real life community, because that's your business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in every neighborhood. Like our goal is to, to be the destination of choice in every city that we're in, but we're like in, in neighborhoods, right? Like people walk out, they come, kids come in after school, people, you know, there's restaurants around universities, colleges, you know, we are so entrenched in people's lives, right? I, I mean, I love being at the grocery store. This happened the other day. I'm in the grocery store. I'm pushing my buggy and this little kid comes running at me and he's like, oh, you're the ice cream lady and like throws himself on my legs. It's like, I love her ice cream, you know? And, and I, in the, and of course the mom's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I love this. And I'm like, tell me your favorite flavor. And, and I'm like, when were you there last? And, and so it, it's like to be part of a community where I'm actually part of people's lives. Right. And our ice cream is part of, you know, we, 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 ha- we've had employees who've met their future spouses, like working as a scooper in our scoop shop, they've gotten married. We've catered their weddings. They do, they took engagement pictures with us. So we've catered their weddings. They have their first kid. We cater the the baby, you know, the baby shower and then the baby's first ice cream, they come in, you know? And so, so like, I love the fact that we're like entrenched in people's lives and that we are like, we are part of the community, right? We no customer. I think all of St. Louis still has my cell phone number from my early days. Cause it was the phone number yeah. for the shops and everything. And so like, I get calls and messages all the time, you know, about when you get this flavor, I want that, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's important because, you know, we live in this world where we're so connected, right. By our laptops, our, our cell phones, our iPads, like you name it. But yet the thing that we long for the most is to be connected to each other. Yep. And you know, ice cream does that when you're holding an ice cream cone, you're not holding a cell phone. And so I think, I think it has this magic special, special place for people 
because it's it's really about connection and joy and 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 community with with each other. There's something to it's a beautiful summer night and we're all standing in line around the block waiting to get ice cream. There's community in that and there's like a special thing like, yeah, we're all at Clementine's and we're going to get great ice cream and like everybody's out and we're all here together. Right. Um, And even during the pandemic, you know, when we had to do curbside, you know, people weren't standing in line, but people were in their cars in line. And so you, you'd see the interaction between people who, who knew each other from standing in line that could see each other in their cars. And there was something, you know, people made comments that that still was comforting, that they weren't standing in line with people, but they were in line in cars, but they still recognize people. And so that was that, that sense of connectedness and ice cream, you know, bringing people together, I think is really powerful. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. So you have a unique situation because not every business has the in-real-life community. And I think I always tell my clients and my listeners, that you really need to have both. And so, and I'm a firm believer in that, that you have to find some way to have both the online community and the in real life community in order for it to really work and flourish. So my question to you on that is, how have you taken what you've built in real life and utilized it online for growth so that people want to buy your product in Washington state or in South Carolina? I mean, how have you translated that in an effective way? Well, you know, we ship all over the country and we have a really strong social media presence and we really try to be active and we really, you know, we, we don't have a lot of like curated content. Most of our content is shared content um, from our customers. It's of our product. It's our new flavors. And, you know, we're known for our unique flavors and we're known for the quality of our ice cream. And so sometimes it's just having fun with the ice cream or, you know, me going on there and doing live tastings for new flavors with my R&D chef, right? And just going through things. So I think there's some authenticity around like being one with your product and really sharing it and like, hey, here's how we make this ice cream and and here's it coming out of the machine and here's us making the gooey butter cakes, right? And you know, I think I think engaging with my online community wherever that may be and really connecting for 
people who like are true ice cream connoisseurs and are into it, like word travels fast and like they know Clementines and, and if they don't, you know, they will, they, you know, they kind of hear through word of mouth because, you know, we win all these ice cream awards. Like every year we win the best ice cream in the country, blind taste test, 600 people. Like, so I think people like pick up on that as well. Um, and ice cream is something that's like universally loved, right? So what do you get someone who has everything, right? You get them something they love. And how cool is it to, to get somebody who loves ice cream in New York City, some St. Louis ice cream, right? That's that's a really cool, unique gift. So I think leveraging kind of all of those levers for marketing and social media and product stuff, I think has really helped us a lot. And I'm so glad that I asked that and that you shared that because you do have a very locally based business in, in the St. Louis and Missouri area. And, but you are a nationally known brand. And that is a really important thing to mention and to share as a differentiator for your product, because you are not just known in Missouri anymore. And it is because of leveraging all of those opportunities that are available to every business owner online if you use them effectively. Yeah, most definitely. You know, and we're, and we're going national, right? I mean, so we've got, you know, three, four or five more shops here in Missouri and uh, we'll be in Illinois next year. Um, and Where? so, you know, in okay. Edwardsville initially, but, okay. but Chicago's uh, uh, definitely on our expansion list okay. for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we'll, we'll get there. So something that you just, you just mentioned how you go online and talk about your flavors and I want to talk about your flavors. We're not getting off this conversation <laughs> without talking about your flavors. So, I mean, that is something that really, it's not just the quality of your product, which that is a big part of it, but you have insanely incredible, unique, creative flavors. You also have a line of quote, I'm doing air quotes for those who are listening, naughty ice creams that have alcohol infused into the ice cream. So I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about the flavor creation and where you get your, your ideas from and, and how that really has helped your product to evolve. Sure. You know, I, I always say that corporate America paid for my palette because I had an unlimited expense report pretty yeah. much for 20 years and I've traveled all over the world. I've lived all over the world. So I just have, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I was trained as a master taster as well, um, having come from the, the food world and the ingredient side of the business as well. And so I just have this incredible palette and I love to take unique things, spices, flavor profiles, um, desserts from around the world, right? And, and bring them in and, and what's hot and what's cool and what's different, you know, um, that's always been like really important to me, but the naughty ice cream. So, um, I was the first one in the country to actually commercially do naughty ice cream. So we have a trade secret process for infusing alcohol into ice cream up to a really high percentage. And, you know, ice cream is a category where there really had been no innovation since Dippin' Dots in the set, like really zero yeah. innovation. And there are categories out there where there's just been no innovation because they haven't needed it. It's just slow and steady and it is what it is. And so having worked in the food industry and access to technologies and ingredients and processes and different things that most people don't have access to um, helped me a lot in figuring out the putting booze and alcohol where you're not just flavoring it in or cooking it off or 
using a bourbon flavor, right? And so for me early on, that was an, a market opportunity for me because I loved booze and I loved ice cream and what better, you know, opportunity is there to bring it together. So really early on, we were the, the first ones in the country to do the boozy ice cream. And now you see it everywhere or they try anyway, it's not as boozy as ours. Um, but we were also the first ones in the country to do non-dairy to do our vegan line and really go out there with it. Um, And so we have this like massive cult following for all all of our non-dairy ice creams, which are amazing because they actually taste like ice cream. You wouldn't know that there's no dairy in it. Um, And they're really hard to formulate and they're hard to do, but um, Mm -hmm. it's important to me that ice cream is for everyone. Ice cream is universal, right? And so why should someone who has dietary restrictions not be able to engage? Why should that that kid at a birthday party who comes in say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't participate because I can't have milk or gluten or whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. Right. And so that was always important to me to make sure that, you know, ice cream being such a universal thing that we had something for, for everyone. Um, and so we, we worked really hard to provide that experience for everyone. Um, And it matters to people. It really matters to people. I get so many letters and notes from moms saying, oh my gosh, you know, your vegan ice cream is so amazing. My son would always cry because he could never have ice cream when the rest of the family did it. Or after school with friends, we'd always have to not go or, you know, or the alternates out there were, did not taste good. Right. And so that kind of warms my heart to, you know, know that we're, we're, you know, ice cream for the people, for all people. Right. So, and so I think that goes back to our flavors and stuff too, is, is like stretching people's minds, like to be adventurous. Ice cream is kind of going through this revolution right now in the country and the super premium unique flavors is, is really growing. And people are, are, are more adventurous. They they've turned into foodies. Right. And they're like, oh, wow. If I like the savory item, why wouldn't I like it in my ice cream? Yep. You know, people are like, oh, I weirdly really like this, but I can't decide, you know? And so we're kind of known for our unique flavors. We do savory, we do sweet, we do all kinds. Um, But we talk about it as we are their 15 minute vacation. They still might walk out of the shop with a gooey butter cake, ice cream cone, but they're going to come in and try our in a pickle, right? Or they're going to try a savory ice cream. And so a lot of people talk about it as their 15 minute vacation. They can go and try this and do this and do that. They may still end up with this or they may try this and be like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Right. So who's, who's Clementine. So Clementine uh, is actually named after my grandmother's best friend. So when I was growing up, most grandma's all looked the same, right? They had this silver <laughs> helmet that was permed, right? And they wore little granny jumpsuits, right? And Clementine, my grandmother's best friend, was this grandma who had like long silver hair and she wore red lipstick and she was so elegant and she looked nothing like any of the other grandmas. She wasn't the norm, eh? She was not the norm. And I was so enamored with her. I just used to like look up at her and I like, it's still in my mind's eye. I can see her. And so I grew up thinking someday I'm going to have a little girl and she's going to be just like Clementine. Well, I have not been blessed in life with, with that or with children. 
And so when I decided to start Clementines, I, it was kind of my baby. And so it just fit and it just seemed to work and it just seemed right. Hence the name uh, Clementine. Well, it also fits because here you are describing this woman who is not the norm and who did not, you know, follow everyone else and was not, you know, but, but took the beaten path, obviously. And mm-hmm. you are doing that with your business. So yeah. I guess, you know, it fits, it fits. Well, and, and what's funny is since COVID, I don't know if you can tell or not, but, um, I am now like almost going all gray natural. I haven't colored my hair in two years. So now whenever I tell the story, I'm like, Oh yeah, like long silver hair and people are like, like yours. And I'm like, yeah, kinda, I think I've turned it into her and I didn't know it. What's next for you guys? You said you're expanding. So what is on the horizon? Yeah. You know, we're expanding um, to three more shops next year, but I think our big project this year is I'm taking a huge leap of faith and I'm building capacity for 50 shops. So we're moving from 4,000 square feet of production space to 25,000 square feet this year. Totally crazy, scary, and nervous all in the same. Um, but so I'm, I'm building out a new massive production facility this year. So it's amazing. I can't wait till we get one. Yes. Yes. I really be there before you know it. So I have two more things that I want to ask you, but, um, in the beginning of our conversation, you shared about how you were leaving corporate America and you asked yourself my favorite question, which is what I asked, I asked myself this both times I left corporate America. And that was what's the worst that happens. So what's the worst that happens, right? Have you ever looked back? Uh, You know, I've never looked back. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have my $1 days. That's what we call them around here. So if you get me on the right day for $1, it's all yours, (laughs) right? We all have those days. Yeah. I call them my $1 days. And when I'm having those days, I tape a $1 bill on on my office door and everybody knows. Um, I know, you know, I don't regret anything. I am living my best life, even in those worst moments where I feel like the world is crashing around me or what am I going to do? You know, I still wouldn't trade it for my one day of my old life. Because, I mean, you said you shared you were like at your lowest low when you were at that lake house with your girlfriends. You were crying. You didn't know what to do. And it was they they are your closest friends and people in your life. And they pushed you to do this. And your litmus test was what's the worst that happens. And I always ask myself that. And if you can live with the worst, then, okay, you can always go back and get another job. Yeah. I I mean, I still say that to this day, God forbid, like something happened in the world or like heck through COVID, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I, you know, thankfully I have an amazing team of people who are so dedicated to our community and our city and our ice cream. I mean, when they shut down occupancy in March of 2020, I asked my team, I said, if you guys want to close, then we will close and I will pay you for as long as I can. And resoundingly, they all said, absolutely not. We love our jobs. We love making ice cream and And people are going to need ice cream now more than ever. And I said, okay, then we're in it to win it. And, you know, we, we were the only ice cream company frozen dessert place in St. Louis that didn't close all year. I mean, we pivoted right away. 
all of our shop managers turned into delivery drivers. Like I had COVID early on. I was the 88th person in the state of Missouri to get it. Um, and so literally I was like in bed, can't breathe. And I'm doing like Google delivery maps. And, and so we just pivoted and hustled and did it and worked through it. Like we've never stopped since COVID. And I think um, as hard as that has been at times and in those early days, not knowing if we were going to have a business coming out of the other side, but we were going to fight like hell to make sure that we did. And, you know, it's funny in starting your own company in the beginning, it's very much about like you and you're building this and whatever, but it quickly changed for me to about them, right? It's about my team. It's about my people. And, and now I have almost a hundred employees and now it's about making sure I can take care of myself and making sure I'm good up here because every decision I make is going to impact the livelihoods of all these people. And so th then like, even on those hard, you know, you look back, I'm like, oh my God, I have all these livelihoods that I have to take care of. And we have to fight to, to make sure our production people, right. Can pay their rent and that people have groceries and, and, you know, what are people going to do when they get sick? And so we kind of had to figure that out and hustle and, and, you know, it just, your, your mindset shifts, or at least my mindset yeah. shifts from a very like internal myopic, what I'm building to like my team, my people, my staff, like what we, what we are in the community and what we're doing. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a big responsibility, but you just, you just can't stop because you don't have a choice, right? They, they depend on you. They rely on you. Right. And they've believed in you and they're part of the journey too. Yeah. Right. And so there's something magic. There's something like magical about that, where it, it, it just, it really becomes way more about them than you. So you have had an incredible journey thus far. Your story is amazing. I mean, really and truly, I have so enjoyed listening to every single thing that you have shared with me today. And one thing I would love for you to share back with our listeners is I want you to think back to, you know, that lake house when you were at your lowest of low and your friend giggled and said you should start an ice cream shop. What would you tell that person about starting a business? What would you tell someone about starting a business? Three actionable things that, that you wish you would have known when you decided to take that leap of faith. Um, be prepared to sacrifice more than you ever think you can. Everything takes twice as long and costs twice as much. And cut out all of the negativity, only support yourself with people who are truly supportive for what you're doing, right? So when the crap hits the fan and there's nobody else, the people who are gonna work full-time at their job and at night come to help you mop your floors at night because you're so exhausted, right? Those are the kind of people you wanna, you wanna have around you. All the other peripherals, cut them out because they're just going to bring you down and make it that much harder. Such good advice. Tamara Keefe, founder, CEO, and flavored temptress of Clementine's Creamery. Thank you so much for being on Dear Founder, for sharing your story, your wisdom, your knowledge. I can't wait to see where this goes. Thank I you. can't wait till we get a Clementine's Creamery in Chicago. <laughs> it's coming. I will be your biggest advocate, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
Tamara Keefe's story is so incredible. And I love that she built a whole business around ice cream. She talks about connection. She talks about community. And it all goes back to her product, which is a product we all know and we all love. And that is ice cream. And look what she has done with it. There are so many amazing takeaways in today's episode. Please get out your pen and paper. Get ready to jot them down because this was a hot one. (laughs) Number one, when making a decision like leaving corporate America, ask yourself, what is the worst that could happen? Tamara was educated. She had savings and she asked herself, what is the worst that could happen? And that was she would fail and find a new job. Could she live with it? She could. Number two. Going from corporate America, where you have teams of people to a team of just you, you learn a lot about what you can do and how to do it. Number three, prepare yourself for when you leave your job and start a company. Tamara paid everything ahead two years so that she didn't make a bad decision because of money. Her basic necessities were covered. That is such an amazing tip. I hope that you remember it, especially if you have not started your company already. Number four, invest in people to help build and buy into your vision. Investing in your team helps to propel the business forward. Number five, you need to get out from within the business and get out of the day-to-day in order for the business to grow and flourish. You have to be able to work on the business. Number six, when you have a company, it's about your team. You have to make sure that you are good at the top because it impacts the livelihood of your team and your people. Number seven, be prepared to sacrifice more than you ever thought you would. Number eight, your endeavor is going to cost you much more than you ever anticipated. And number nine, only support yourself with people who are truly supportive for what you're doing. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us with for today's episode of Dear Founder. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to take out your phone and leave a rating and review or make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. We have some incredible guests coming up. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, please text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Make sure to tag me and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.